We may not have a woodshed on board, but that boy is gonna get a whooping anyway. Oh, so what, you the one supposed to give me my whooping, huh? Oh, the hell, I got one of those. Oh. Shit, Gordon only gave me one. If you give me a second, I'll see if Gordon... What an audio audience may not pick up on here is that Will Smith and his knife boot are facing off against an opponent with blades for both arms. It's a comedic scene in which the sword arm guy is doing a showy display of his slicing prowess, followed by Will Smith wiggling his toe around to do the same kind of showing off with his knife boot contraption. And with that ridiculous setup, you know that we are talking about Wild Wild West. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Point 10 Podcast. I'm Derek Gottlieb, and I am joined by Sam Patterson and Brett Fedor to talk about this 1999 classic starring Will Smith, Kevin Kline, Kenneth Brenna, and Salma Hayek. Hi, Brett. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Thanks for having me. Sam, great to see you too. Yeah, thank you for having us, Derek. I'm super excited, as I always am, to talk about every movie on this podcast, but this one in particular, Wild Wild West. Do you guys remember seeing this movie for the first time? I have only the vaguest recollection. So I was not old enough to see this movie in theaters when it came out. Like, I was not 13 in uh, 1999. Uh, So I definitely remember having, uh, like, watching it on TV. But there wasn't, like, one, like, formative, this is the first time that I watched it sort of experience. All right. Brett? So 1999, I was in, let's see, seventh grade. Um, I also did not see this movie in theaters. I saw it after it came out. Um, but, you know, it was it was interesting. I was actually doing some, some Googling on the topic yesterday of, you know, I think the question will probably come up of what if this movie came out in 2023 and what would the reaction be? And I'll, I'm sure we'll... Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. But it was it was also good to know that I, I wasn't alone when I rewatched it last night. Um, in 1999, it seems like there were some very similar reactions to, um, you know, what it looked like and what it sounded like when it came out. Interesting. So, like, I was what I had just finished my sophomore year of college when this movie came out. And I was doing this thing where I was, like, working in the mountains. And so, for me, it was... Every two weeks, I would go to base camp, cash the paycheck, and like head into Taos to spend it as fast as I could, mostly by seeing uh, movies. And so I loved this movie when I saw it the first time. Loved in the sense of like, I had no idea that there was a TV series. I was like, Will Smith is heading up a you know summer blockbuster. Sign me up. This is after Men in Black. It is after Independence Day, the subject of a recent episode that we have done on this show. I was like, I am all in. What could go wrong? And to be fair to my own initial reaction, like a, a, a great deal in retrospect of me enjoying movies in general at that point was the fact that like this is before cell phones. This is 
this is during a time in which like it's just like me and the elements for like two weeks at a time and then suddenly like i get to sit in a dark theater and like drink like a gallon of coke and just like be surround immersed in this sort of like sonic experience and visual through whatever like i was like yes so like pretty much everything went well for me or looked great to me when i was seeing movies in that context so like i i remembered this movie being good and then i rewatched it. i have literally not seen it since 1999 because like it was good but you know not that good so like on the rewatch i was like what was i <laughs> thinking when i saw that when i saw it now i'm like it, it was probably in the back of my mind and this this just needs to come up that uh i don't know like i think it was on like the sort of, i was i was rewatching it on i rented it on amazon and they have that little like insights thing and like one of the little bits of trivia was that Will Smith turned down the role of Neo in the Matrix for this movie. And I am like, you are kidding me. <laughs> you are kidding me. <laughs> a, we could have had Will Smith as Neo, like, no shade to Keanu Reeves, but like, and also, what could have been in draft one of the script that Will Smith saw and was like, yes, this is the thing that I have to do? Because it sure wasn't in the final draft. Must have been the giant mechanical spider. Uh. <laughs> Look, Roger Ebert turns out to have some problems with that. I thought that shit was fucking awesome when I when I saw it the first time. I was like, I was like, I that part of it. I will say, like, this does not hold up. It doesn't look good. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, but like when I saw that the first time, I was like, all right, we've got scientists who are like, we've got like let's say plausible 19th century technology that is now just being wielded to create essentially like, you know, a, a giant ass mechanical spider and like <laughs> wheelchairs with legs and whatever. I'm like, yes, I'm in. Yes. That fine. Like what if, <laughs> what if like a civil war backhoe came to life is basically what, you know, I had a I had an interesting moment today where I went around and asked some of my team members on my counseling team, you know, I went door to door and said, what did you think of Wild Wild West? And there, I wish I could get their reactions on camera of like, what the hell is wrong with you right now? That that was like the opening reaction. Um, and then it was just, it was, it was silence after that, followed by like, how did you go down this path in life that you ended up on Wild Wild West in 2023? I mean that like that's exactly right. Like I imagine that most people uh seeing this movie for the first time would have like at best you would have had an experience like I had in which like you would have been like essentially sensory deprivation for 2 weeks prior and then you would have gone into the theater and been wowed by the sort of special effects and then you know uh and then you never would have watched it again. Then like and that would have been so like part of the part of the silence is like why is this coming up now? <laughs> like why would you have rewatched this for a podcast? Obviously. So it's funny. Uh, so you had like this initial experience where you saw this movie. I, it was definitely like a staple on TV in my house growing up. Like we watched this movie frequently because it was on, you know, like TBS or whatever it is in like bits and pieces. And actually in the rewatching, I realized that I've never seen the non-TV version of it. And there's like a lot more ass in the um, regular version than the TV version. 
which I mean was a pleasant surprise, right? But like, uh, so it's just something funny. Like I watch this movie and I remember my mom, right? Like interacting with me and this movie. And um, I, now that I have like, but I didn't really rewatch it in like mid years. I finally rewatched it after a long period of time, and I was just like, oh, this is not good. Um, we. <laughs> Uh, which is actually funny because my husband uh, watched it with me and he's still like, you know, it's not that bad of a movie. So I feel like I need to sit down and have a conversation with him about what our expectations are for the media we consume. Communication is really key to any relationship I find. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Like, we're going to find, this is not usually like a staple of how this podcast works, just like ripping on movies, but I feel like it's going to happen with this one. So like, let me take a moment and say that, you know, on the rewatch, these lines weren't delivered particularly well, but, and the whole relationship makes zero sense. But like, uh, the one moment on the train in which some Hayek, whatever, wanders into the train car with uh, the trap door open on her uh, long johns or whatever and turns around and walks away. And Kevin Klein gets to be like, look, it's been a long day whatever she's like she's just a breath of fresh ass and then like will smith is like yeah what you said ass and he's like no i didn't and will smith's like whatever let's just get some shut ass i thought that line was fucking hilarious that was great writing to my like i mean it was embarrassingly old like my 20 year old self thought that was like chef's kiss right there in terms of writing there was that and the other line that like again the, the delivery leaves something to be desired but like no more Mr. Knife Guy like that one. That is, those are the two positive things I'll say about the movie. You know, I had a weird, I had a weird moment last night where I always equate, I equate everything in my life to like growing up in a small town in Pennsylvania and, you know, some of the beliefs that you have obviously like the beliefs of people around you and right like you grow up with the same like thousand people and narrow-mindedness and I I was reflecting last night when I, I tell people pretty often that I didn't I didn't do a lot of traveling I didn't really open my mind until I was in my mid-20s essentially and I started thinking you know would, would this have been acceptable in 1999 in my in my hometown of Moscow Pennsylvania you know, because I, unfortunately, I, I, I use some of those same words up until I'm ashamed to say I was like 24, 25. And I had a conversation with my wife last night of if I watch this in a different context, if I watch this with my high school buddies, like what, it, what would have been different about it? And I still came to the conclusion that it just felt like undertones of racism start to finish. And, and that's a tough part, uh, you know, kind, so kind of reflecting on that what 23 24 years later of what that looks like now and like i'm gonna just like be i'm gonna be like i think undertones is kind of an understatement right there yeah, <laughs> i think the yeah. racism is pretty like <laughs> front and center and the funny thing is it, it really does look like sort of like a, a a late 90s i mean so i think about uh i before i rewatch this and i shouldn't have done this i uh i was like I knew sort of in my head that like people had not liked this movie in the same way that I had in 1999. So I was like, well, let me just like go see what Roger Ebert thought of this real quick. And like, there are some gems in that review, but like when he, 
like his take on the on what I would think of as the racism at the time is essentially just like the race related jokes fall flat. And that's like it's like in 1999, what was on the screen wasn't like across the board offensive in the way that it reads now, but it was still lame. And it was still like, so like, that's like a 1990s version of like, not funny race jokes, which is like, which is very different from the way that it reads now when I, when I'm like, how did this even make it to the screen that we're like, so it's, there's, there's two things wrong with it. Like race wise, it seems to me one is, uh, one is everything that we are not supposed to laugh at. And the other is everything that we are supposed to laugh at, which is, I don't know. No, I'm not making myself very clear there, but like every time, like when Will Smith ends up being like here, here's why I was touching this woman's breasts. It's because of like, you know, and like, he's trying to like make, like he's trying to be the face of a joke about essentially African primitivism. And we're supposed to understand him as winking at this sort of race thing. But the entire setup behind this joke is also racist as fuck. And I have like, I like, so it can't even get into the foreground without covering some pretty racist ass territory. And then on top of it all, the joke itself is not funny. Like, <laughs> Yes. So yes. But like, there's, this is not supposed to be, you know, offensive in 1999. And 1999 was not like, like peak offensive. It's every time the hangover is on, I keep remembering how goddamn offensive that was. And that was what, like 2005 or something, which to me, that feels like not all that long ago for some reason, but like it, all of those. Yeah. It feels, it, it feels like we have traveled 50 years in the last 10 somehow. And every time, every time we're looking at something that is older than that, it, it feels like it comes from like an entire other state of being. I think 99 is grouped up in there the same way uh, Woodstock turned out. <laughs> yeah. Woodstock 99. Right. Like we're trying yeah. to all forget Woodstock 99 never existed. Excellent point. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> trying to recapture something. Yeah. Man, man. Yeah. Yes. What's, what's striking to me is that, so the other thing that I wasn't aware of in 1999 when I saw this is that there was any existing intellectual property that we this was remaking. Like, and that obviously, not starting obviously in 1999, but continuing to the present has become such a thing. Uh, ben Stiller and Owen Wilson did Starsky and Hutch. Uh, <laughs> Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum did a wonderful job with 21 Jump Street. And like in each of those movies, they all have that cutesy little, like the original actors in the original show pop up and like make some kind of uh, appearance. Don't see that in this movie. Turns out that the guy who played Jim West in the original, the white dude who played Jim West in the original, uh, was so angry <laughs> at like how bad this was going to be that he refused to make a cameo in it. And like, it wasn't until many years later that Will Smith was essentially like, yeah, I get it. I get why he was mad now. The um, So I did a little bit of digging on that too. Um, mostly I did Reddit digging because that's the kind of digging that I do. And um, the people, I found like a post from 
when uh, Wild Wild West initially like came out, which is fascinating. It's amazing. Like one of the uh, three people who had the internet. Yeah, right. Like, so um, the this thread has continued for some reason, um, and people are like this weird racist pocket of Reddit which they exist, uh, furious that Will Smith is playing Jim West. Just like there's a bunch of paragraphs about how, you know, racist things. But um, somebody like 20 years later called out an OP and was like, how do you feel about this racist comment now? And they responded, which was also very interesting. So, Brett, you know, to bring it back, I feel like it's still in the zeitgeist a little bit, right? Like, it's not out of the blue that you are talking about this movie. It is my fault in particular, uh, but it is not out of the blue. One of the things that's interesting about, like, the way that the plot is structured, so this is, like, getting... So, in remaking this movie, the big thing is that suddenly the main character is black. Jim West is black. He is the title character. And so much of the plot of the round of the movie revolves around that fact. There is like the massacre of the free black people in New Liberty that drives the plot. Honestly, in the the rewatch, I like could barely follow the plot. And this time I was, you know, not coming out of sensory deprivation. So there's like the 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 free black community uh, that is massacred in New Liberty, which turns out to include Will Smith's parents. Uh they're like the entire time that uh, Will Smith is uh, engaged with the bad guy, Arliss Loveless, which is the stupidest goddamn name. I, it's supposed to be like Ada Lovelace, I guess, like the first woman programmer. Um, but like, our Lovelace, whatever. And Kenneth Branagh is an entirely separate line of discussion that we're going to have to have. But like, so he's he's fighting a revivalist south but also this movie is supposed to be fun i mean maybe in 1999 it was easier to be like to be like well good thing white supremacy is behind us uh than it is now but i'm also i'm not like i whatever the the entire thing makes no sense but like the fact that will smith is the one playing the title character turns out to drive a great deal of the action and like the situational comedy in the movie which is part of what makes it super awkward at best awkward at best yeah, there's definitely a lot of cringe in the movie. I mean, and like the racism is just like the most pronounced, mm-hmm. right? I mean, none of the women characters are anything more interesting than the sexual objects. And uh, like there's lots of ableism, which oh, sure. that's always fun. Um, sarcasm. Just, <laughs> yes, I realize podcast does sarcasm. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so like cringe, I feel like it's definitely got that like cringe element and I almost wonder if somebody had taken like a satirical approach to it, if it might have been more fun to watch. I might even like argue that like, I think about half of the actors in this movie are taking a satirical uh, approach to it, which is part of the issue. I feel like the movie cannot settle on kind of a tone. Can can we just talk about Arliss Loveless for a second? This is, okay. So you guys are younger than me, but like, let me tell you that in the 1990s, this is who Kenneth Branagh was. Kenneth Branagh is like the new young star at the Royal Shakespeare Company, right? He's going to be the new Sir Lawrence Olivier. 
we American audiences knew Kenneth Branagh because of that 1992 Much Ado About Nothing with Denzel Washington and Keanu Reeves uh, and like UNESCO World Heritage Treasure Emma Thompson, to whom he was married for a while. Uh, and because he remade in about 1995, so like perfectly right in the middle of when I was in high school and also sort of getting into Shakespeare, Henry V. And so he gets to give this like big like St. Crispin's Day speech. That's who Kenneth Branagh was. And then he went and did this shit. <laughs> he went and did this shit. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's here's a little present for you, American audience. I'm going to have the dumbest facial hair possible that I think is supposed to be part of this whole spider motif, which also makes no sense. He's like, he's like, he's like, whatever. The South has fallen. I have lost the lower half of my body. I'm real mad about that. Uh, my hideout is in a place called Spider Canyon. And holy shit, I have an idea. <laughs> Let me make a giant mechanical spider and also shave these various shapes into my face. And then, like, we're going to make the U.S. government give up half of the United States. And, yeah, so a couple of things. And But, like, speaking of the ableism and all that stuff, like, the one of the, the – I mean, I thought this was hilarious in 1999. I don't mind telling you. But, like, I mean, the Kenneth Branagh's – Arliss Lovelace's loss of the lower half of his body bothers him a lot. Like, this is the thing that drives uh, the plot of the movie, but, like, it really comes to the fore when somebody doesn't even really say something about this, and then he, sort of out of nowhere, is like, I bet you think I can't please a woman, except he's saying this with his Kenneth Branagh Royal Shakespeare Company dude doing the worst foghorn leghorn you've ever heard in your life. And, and he's like... I have, you don't think if I made these contraptions, I could, I couldn't like devise a, a way of pleasing a woman. And then in a, a shot that should have been left on the cutting room floor, they just like pan over to what is essentially like a stagecoach with like a giant spring loaded dick is the only way that I can like. That can't be the thing he's referring to. <laughs> I, I wouldn't imagine, but like, and and then they sort of like cut back, and I'm like, is is that the like the South has fallen? Like, oh my god, can we get a better metaphor for like the lost cause ideology in general? That like I was like I was like oh haha, a giant dick is on the screen is literally what I thought in 1999. And now looking at it, I'm like this whole none of this makes any sense. Other stuff that doesn't make sense. P.S. Like. He has, like, I, I definitely didn't pick up on this in 1999, and it's only by doing a shitload of accidental reading and the other sorts of things. But, like, his big plan revolved around giving Florida back to Spain, giving the Louisiana Purchase back to France, giving the, is it the 13th, or giving the California, et cetera, back to Mexico? Is that right? And it was the South. Yeah, like New Mexico, Colorado. Like yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, the, the what like the 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 prize for winning the Mexican American War or whatever. Uh back to Mexico and then the thirteen original colonies back to Great Britain. Min minus, minus Manhattan. Minus Manhattan, which was I think. Yeah. Also super racist treatment of Native Americans who hardly ever who hardly feature here except as the bad guy and in Lovelace's uh uh depiction of them with respect to Manhattan. So like 
But like, so he's the way that he is treating all of these various empires who have lost territory to the United States of America that he's planning to give back to them uh, is as though these losses were humiliations, just like the loss of the Civil War was. Maybe that's the case for Mexico, maybe, but like Spain got out of the business, as did France. France sold the territory to the United States because essentially they had gotten too big and this territory was not particularly productive. Like they couldn't hold on to their empire. It was really only the British Empire that was still expanding at the time that uh, the U.S. uh broke away or like they experienced their own sort of colonial rebellion. So like this idea that like that all of these empires are going to have exactly the same motivation and they're, and that that motivation is going to be this like sense of humiliation because the United States has territory that used to belong to them is ludicrous. History nerd note is all that I want to say there. Was that a quick fun fact? Uh... <laughs> None of my fun facts are quick. We know this. <laughs> So I'm going to let my guard down. I absolutely loved Loveless. Keep Say more about that. I, I thought he made the entire... Like, I thought he was so ridiculous that he made the entire movie. Yeah, I mean, I, Kenneth Branagh is a Royal Shakespeare Company actor, and he definitely... He was like, I can't do this 80% and have it work. It has to be 150%. And And in fairness to him... That is what he did. The movie wouldn't have worked without him because Lord knows, I mean, the movie wouldn't have worked at all without him to the extent that it did without him because Will Smith and Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein, who I fucking love in almost everything that he is in, those two just sucked. The writing was bad, (laughs) but they didn't help themselves at all. Like, Kevin Kevin Klein looked like he like retired from acting halfway through the movie. Okay, so Kevin Klein is great. So there's like lots of people in this movie who are great, and yes. this is really bad, right? Um, so I was doing some like little like IMDbing or mm-hmm. whatever, and I saw that Wild Wild West had won, uh, was like nominated for like 15 things and won 17 things award wise, and I was like, this cannot be true. So I'm like scrolling through, and um. They are a bunch of awards that are Razzies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. apparently those are included in award counts on IMDb. So it. just like fair warning for everybody else. <laughs> but um, Will Smith and um, Kevin are um, listed as the, I think they won this one, the worst on-screen couple for the entire year. <laughs> yeah. And like, they're so, like individually, they're so great. And this is such like a dip in everybody's like... He's an Oscar winner, for goodness sakes. Like. Yeah. A Fish Called Wanda is like one of the better movies of all time. And and it's it's in, like Selma Hayek is an actress that I like, and she is just not even trying. She, like at all. I mean, the plot of this movie, god damn it. So, so much of Kevin Klein and Will Smith is the rivalry that's between them, ostensibly because they're competing over the love of Salma Hayek, who is ostensibly trying to find her father, which later turns out to be her husband or whatever. So, like, she knows she's leading them on so that, like, they will be properly inspired to do their job. But, like, so that means the movie is really trying to set it up so that, like, 
Will Smith and Kevin Klein are supposed to be the romantic couple in this movie. They're supposed to be sort of the odd couple. They have different strengths and skills. They annoy each other, but then they're going to sort of like realize that they're the perfect couple at some uh, by the end of the movie. And that whole dynamic just is worthless because it's so bad. Like, and I can't tell what's the writing and what's the acting. Will Smith like comes and goes. Some of his line deliveries are okay. Others are not. Uh, he's like, okay. Arliss Loveless. He's the man. He's the man, but he's the man. <laughs> but like Will Smith needed to do that kind of performance, like a performance that was that big. And he just didn't. This is the last role I think that he took that would have required that much from him. Like Will Smith has all the charisma uh, that he needs in order to make any writing work but like he just like he was not going to do it for this movie and boy it's and like Kevin Klein might as well not fucking be there as far as like it's ridiculous it is like it is like he is not there it is like it is a table read when he is doing his lines Arliss Loveless is the man <laughs> that's gonna be a tag for the episode Brett <laughs> I so this is where I was at halfway through the movie. So I have, and I think a lot of people do. You have this like this list growing up, right? Of like actors or actresses that, like I make the joke of like how did they get away from me? You know. So I think of like um, I don't know, like a Jessica Biel or like sure. a Demi Moore or like Salma Hayek is like absolutely in my top five. Mm-hmm. Like two minutes into her role, I just felt bad for her. Yeah. That, that seems to like be I just like, flat yeah. out felt mm-hmm. bad for one of my like childhood crushes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what happened, but <laughs> like we I, I don't ever really cite reviews on screen, but like uh or on screen in the this podcast, but there is a line from uh from Roger Ebert's thing, which is so amazing and it speaks to this point he goes there are moments when all artifice fails and you realize you are regarding desperate actors trapped on the screen fully aware they've been left hanging out to dry and i'm like i yep that that was my impression of that like i okay i'm coming around on this i always end up in these episodes changing my mind on some like hot take that I have offered earlier. Like the only person that I did not feel that way about was Kenneth Branagh, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) He never lets on, like he never looks like he's trapped on screen. Like, but like there are, I I don't know how with editing, there are somehow so many like painful moments of stillness when there's supposed to be like comedy sparks flying. There's like a little bit too much silence between sort of characters. And I'm like, can nobody figure out what to say or like how to end the scene or Salma Hayek will say something that is like, I barely expressed with feeling and then like exit. And like, we're supposed to be like, Oh, I totally get why Will Smith and Kevin Klein are willing to like potentially like endanger the president's life just to sort of like try to get with Salma Hayek. I just mean like distracted from the mission in that uh case by by Selma Hayek. So like 
God, it's so bad. And this is like, this is 1999. Salma Hayek has already been in, just been amazing. I thought in Desperado, in several, I was like, it is too bad. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I felt bad for her for most of the movie. It's clearly probably like a huge payday for her uh, in general, but like the movie gave her nothing to do. And she was like, deal. <laughs> essentially is my, my impression yeah this is this is one of those movies i uh i call myself the cheap guy on the on the airplane because i'll never like get the ear pods or anything like that but i'll watch i'll watch the movie of the person next to me <laughs> right so i've seen i've seen a like a lot of movies in mute and i told my wife last night like if i saw this movie in mute i would give it like an eight out of ten right right Yes. Right? But if, if you add, like, lines to it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be a new category. That's so great. Would this movie be better or worse <laughs> without sound or subtitles? There, yes. I'm, already, I'm, I'm yes. already starting, yeah. like, a top ten list in my head of, like... <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing, amazing thing. I'm also going to start doing that on planes now. That's very creepy, both of you. Um, just <laughs> laying that out there. Um, and the the, uh, the follow-up question to that was going to be something that I can't remember now. Great. It's good podcast material. This is why we have post-production editing capacities. <laughs> I... It doesn't require it doesn't require you to be creepy and actually look at the person's screen next to you. I like I fly United to Denver all the time and I will just pull up my United app. I'll just not use headphones this time and just turn the volume all the way down and do it that way. I don't no, think that's... it's creepy. I don't think it's creepy at all. I mean, you're already crammed in anyway. Like we're, I'm not hiding anything. Like the and, people know that I'm watching. And we're clearly talking about the like the version of the screens that are like mounted to the back of the other person's seat. So you're like you're you're not like looking oh. into your neighbor's lap at, like at their phone, I am assuming. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I was thinking like iPads, right? Like yeah, someone's right. like watching something on an iPad. Sure, and... Sam. Yeah, we'll leave it at an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was going to talk about steampunk. Yes, good. Okay, okay. so it's definitely got steampunk vibes. Um, I was wondering if, is this like one of the bigger first like blockbusters that was really steampunky? Yeah, or, yeah. Okay, that's the, what I The thought. aesthetic was totally different from anything that was out there. That was one of the things that made it look like visually awesome. The mechanical spider is like, is iconic in that uh, in that particular respect. Roger Ebert had problems with like it not making sense that it like it being useless in Monument Valley. I was like, it didn't look useless. It looked pretty fucking effective at whatever it was trying to do. But yes, sorry, go on, go on with the steampunk. Oh no, that was just one of those. Things. I mean, you can make an argument that like the steampunk doesn't like make sense, but like nothing in the movie makes sense. Right. And honestly, a lot of steampunk doesn't make sense anyway. So that's like really something to shelve. Um, but yeah, I that goes with the aesthetic thing that you're talking about, like without the dialogue. It's um, it was fun to look at all of the little inventions. Like the train is cool. It's got all of these little gadgets in it um, that you know Kevin Klein's character has put together, and like 
Um, and I guess Will Smith is supposed to like foil that with like being like the I ride a horse. Yeah, right. I do things like old fashioned. They put so much effort into like creating this like opposites attract dynamic. Yeah, that just doesn't work. Um, but um, but yeah, I thought that the steampunk was fun. I thought that that was interesting, um, you know, and it definitely leads into like that space cowboy kind of like opera sort of space. Yeah, and yeah. like, that's cool. Um, so, you know, we'll give some props where they are due, I suppose. Yeah, the, the scene in which, uh, I mean, we could talk about Bloodbath McGrath too, but like the scene in which... Uh, in which Loveless sends that like rotating death machine out of the like muck to mow down all of the Confederate soldiers as like a, a, a proof of concept thing was fucking awesome when I saw it the first time. I'm like, here we have like a legit like early stage tank that is an automaton. Well, no, it's being remote controlled by Loveless, but like nothing like that would have existed it's like it's like the movie was like took the historical fact that during the civil war and like late in the civil war they figured out that they could cover wooden ships with iron and like suddenly make like prototypical battleships that were impervious to cannon fire and something like that and they're like what if we did that but then also added a bunch of other sort of functionality including this i was like you know Every movie worth its salt that has some sort of like big bad guy like this has to have like a, an enormous destructive weapon that is the the object of fear the like the the thing that you know everybody has to strive against and in more realistic movies that's something like I don't know a dirty bomb or something like that but here it is just like whatever you know one's steampunk imagination can conjure and like we'll just combine like civil war like roughly period weapons like a gatling gun with a world war 2 tank but also make it look as though it could plausibly have existed in the 19th century i don't know what the giant mechanical spiders fireballs were doing exactly but like that was fine <laughs> as well uh, we'll just chalk it up to like mystical realism and move past it and I it's fine it. Well, I think I think if Loveless if Loveless was my number one character, no, I'd probably put him number two behind Bloodbath McGrath. Interesting. Talk about that a little bit. Also, we should probably talk about like why you seem to love the like the bad guys so much. <laughs> I have no answer for that whatsoever. <laughs> I Bloodbath McGrath had me by probably two minutes into the movie. Um. Just the whole, what was the whole ear thing? The ear trumpet, yeah. So like, Yeah, I was sold. Right there, I was sold. <laughs> and it, like, obviously it's weird, like, ear trumpets were, were a thing, like, you know, good. Like, a nice little prosthetic, but like, his was stapled to his head or something, <laughs> like it was, and also drained wax. It was so gross that like, what, like, okay, yes. So he's like this, I don't know. I was just like, he's supposed to be a general. That's that's thing one. But he's also like sweaty and drunk and like he's we're supposed. Oh, God, like this is the part where like this is where like realism me gets. 
frustrated with uh, shitty movies like this. He's like, he's dirty and sweaty. He is supposed to be the butcher of New Liberty, but he feels really bad about it and hates his nickname. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, why is this? I Like, on the one hand, I'm surprised that of all the characters to have some sort of like depth attached to their sort of thing, it's that guy. And also, you know, none of that depth makes any goddamn sense. You know, his accent was great. I was trying, like, I've seen that actor in other things. I IMDb'd him as well, but I could, like, none of the things that came up on IMDb, like, were what I was associating with that voice and that accent. But, like, every speaking thing he did was quite good, minus the, like, you know, take a long time to point a gun at Arliss Lovelace and be like, you go straight to hell. I'm like, oh, God. Anyway. Okay, so that's your like your top two characters, Brett, are Arliss Loveless, Legless, Revenger of the South, and Bloodbath McGrath. Interesting. None of the good guys. I mean, okay. In <laughs> fairness, those are also the most fucking interesting characters that we get in the movie because the characters who are supposed to be interesting are not. Okay, so here's my here's my debate. Bloodbath McGrath, if you watch the movie in mute, would theoretically be a better character because you wouldn't know he was a general, right? That's correct. You certainly wouldn't. You'd know he was like playing some sort of starring just... active role, but like you certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't have pegged him as a leader of men. So why does that make him better in mute, Brett? Well, because Gottlieb is here going back and, like, he's looking really into his character, right? Mm. If he was on mute, it would just be like, look at this dumbass that is trying as hard as he can. Okay, so this is to alleviate a Derek problem and <laughs> yes. not... Yeah, this has nothing to do with the movie, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I am suddenly very intrigued by the prospect of watching movies on mute, especially, like, movies that are bad like this. And now I'm literally, I'm trying to, I'm like thinking about how, how I would have read McGrath's character differently. If, if if there had been no sound first, but like, honestly, his voice is so good. And his accent, the, the actor does a really nice job with the character, but he is like, when the camera looks at him, he's never like one among a scene. The camera is up in his face. Uh, he is, I could see, I could see that. I could see that being a, like a, a very interesting muted character. Okay. So to one up your like movies, I think it'd be fun to have people watch movies without that they haven't seen before and try to guess what the plot is for some of these movies without the sound on. I feel like this one would have been very easy to figure out because it's not ambiguous who the bad guy is. That's the, that's the first thing and then he ends up like basically doing uh uh you know an 1860s late 1860s this is right after the civil war so like late 1860s like powerpoint like a little slide deck presentation with like the united states divided up got it got the movie Okay, that's fair. I wasn't um I wasn't thinking that Wild Wild West was particularly <laughs> like a good candidate for this, but I was just thinking other movies which one has not seen. Um like like The Matrix. I was movies. literally thinking the same thing. That would have be that would be almost impossible. Will Smith, you could have done it. 
Could have been you. Amazing. What an amazing, amazingly bad career choice. Honestly, like, I, okay, so I can see, you know, the Wachowskis aren't the Wachowskis yet. You've got this, like, freaky science fiction movie uh, that, like, like might work and might not. It's going to take a lot of special effects to look good. You read the script and you're like, like maybe, or you have this existing intellectual property in which like you get to be the same sort of swaggering hero that you have been playing now cracking wise and whatever, uh, for the last, uh, couple of years, wild, wild west probably feels like a safer, like a safer bet. Oh, for sure. It must have been so tempting to think about it as like this big summer blockbuster that's going to come out. Um, And I mean, like on the surface, it's not a bad like idea for a movie, right? Like this space um, or this uh, steampunk like cowboy movie that's like full of like action and comedy. If you look at the cast, like you're like, oh, man, this is going to be great. Uh, So I... You know, hindsight is twenty twenty always, but like <laughs> I can't blame him for thinking like this movie is a good choice for me. Right. I wonder at what point during production he was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> Seriously, like there had to be a time where where you're like, "Is there not enough direction? Is or do you just not like your co-stars? Like, what is happening?" I mean, God damn it, like. We, so we saw in, in the three years leading up to this, we've seen Will Smith play off Jeff Goldblum, Tommy Lee Jones, and now Kevin Klein. How the fuck hard can it be? It looks impossible. Well, and you're talking about like the difference between like sometimes he's like really on and sometimes he's not. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's sort of sprinkled throughout the movie. I almost wonder if those were like not shot sequentially because they probably weren't and like Mm -hmm. you can really see like where he's invested and then like this break when he's not invested and they get sort of like interspersed together the god the racist jokes are impossible to sort of get over i'm thinking about like the the opening scene in which he's like making out with some girl in a water tower that is also equipped for like sexy times or whatever and is trying to like keep an eye out for bloodbath mcgrath and whatever then the water tower falls over and he gets dumped out in front of uh in front of like again a bunch of southerners who are like we are just led this movie is like there are racist people alive in the world and they are all from the south so feel good about yourselves northerners this is like nothing to see here uh, it's just it's just so strange. And for like the first of a couple of times in this movie, there's Will Smith as a black man in a really vulnerable position, surrounded by people who wish him harm. In like not a not a oh oh you're on the other side of this divide this like plot that we're like you're on the other team, but like this is drawing on intense racial animosities. Uh, and Will Smith is just going to essentially 
fucking shuck and jive in front of them for like 30 seconds. And that's going to be funny. That is how that scene reads to me. Same with the one of the like boobs bongo drumming that he does uh, later on. And I am like, what is happening? Like that was not, those scenes felt long to me in 1999. We have to make sure we get like a, like uh, some sort of reference to Will Smith's penis size in one of those scenes for sure. And then, and then we can like go back to other forms of sort of joking about racial stereotypes and historical stereotypes. It was like, I wonder, like, I just cannot imagine who was like, okay, we're going to get Will Smith to play this character who was white. And for that reason, we should really change everything in this movie so that race is really central to the major plot devices that, like, invest Will Smith in his, uh, in the stakes of this, like, yes, there's an assassination plot against President Grant, but also it's deeply personal because his family was murdered, etc. cetera. Uh, and then also, let's just make that the subject of all the jokes as well. Like, let's just do those two things together. We haven't even talked on the, about the fact that, like, he and Kevin Klein have this little conversation where, like, Will Smith's like, oh, yeah, it's a tarantula. I know because I was raised by Indians. And I'm like... Maybe maybe that was on mute for you, uh, Brett. But like, it, it was just like it was just a, sort of a throwaway line. Like, oh, here's a little part of my background. Let me just like like wrap up all of this sort of pan otherness into my character. And like and like, <laughs> here's one stereotype that we can't just associate with Black Americans. So like, let's make sure that we are inclusive. I thought it was interesting in this movie that is set, you know, post-Civil War, America, um, that the women, um, the the bad guy women, seem to be German of some sort or perhaps Russian. They're Eastern European for sure. Well, I think they're supposed to be from a bunch of different... There, there's a German woman, there's an Eastern European or a Russian woman. So I'm, what is that... I mean, I know that's a very, like, late 90s trope of, like... Like fembots? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, well, but also like pulling, I guess they're associated with those, with some of the countries that we're giving land back to, but not all of them. Uh, or actually, no, none of them. None of them. None of them. Yeah, okay, I was trying so to that's figure that out as well. That doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, okay, let me try to make an argument for like, like, if the movie were being smart when they were cast, also, they none of them have... <laughs> they all have the most amazing names. I'm sorry, I'm not sure that they all have amazing names. I think the German woman's name is Munisha. <laughs> so just shout out to the screenwriter who was like, got it. <laughs> here's what here's what her name is gonna be. I'm like, I'm like, maybe this is like if I'm thinking about who Arliss Loveless is and what his motivation is, I'm like, you know, uh you know. Russia had a foothold on the West Coast for a while. That's why there's the Russian River in California, and uh, they make good beer now. That not Russians, but the brewing company, whatever. Um, so, 
I'm thinking like these are all like white empires at one point, maybe, or representatives of white empires. I'm not sure about like the Eastern European, but like Russia specifically, Germany specifically. And I don't, I, I didn't, I know that there was a third, but I didn't really pick up any like specifics about that character. And only one of them got a name. I feel like you're giving a lot of credit to a writer's room I know, who came right? up with I know, the general I thing. I know. It I was think... really like somebody find like sexy German Halloween costume and that's going to be the the character. Yeah, I think it very much got like, ah, bad guys, Germans, check. You know, bad guys, <laughs> Russians, check. All right, we got it. It's really, it's really incredible. What else? What else needs to be, what have we not talked about uh, that needs to come up in this movie? I know Sam was taking notes. I did take notes. I shared them with Brett because I'm a good friend. Um, I think the only other thing that I really have on there was, oh, there's a lot of like weird like transphobia. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the dressing up as a woman. And then like I physically recoiled when he said the phrase like you're dressed like a sissy or something. He used the phrase sissy in uh-huh. like this yeah. derogatory term. And I was like. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was all like you talk about the, the stuff like homophobia, transphobia, just general like verbal assaults on people's masculinity or like by specifically feminizing them uh, or queering them in some way is like that was. I mean, it's so recent that that became not cool. That's one of the, I mean, we're still talking about Wild Wild West, but I thought one of the most, uh, one of the most brilliant things, and so I fucking love the remake of 21 Jump Street, the Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum vehicle. I think it is phenomenal. I also will point out that like, if I don't know if you have seen that movie or 22 Jump Street, which is also great. You know, to the plot of 22 Jump Street uh, has them like trying to solve some crime in like Mexico on spring break, if you might recall. That is shot, in fact, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I know this because I was watching that movie on my TV in San Juan next to the uh, lagoon here. And the fucking closing sh- shot of that movie is like on the beach that is right outside of our house. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I'm like, wait a minute. I like had to pause the thing as I'm like watching like the chopper scene fly. I'm like, they're flying around my house. This is crazy. Anyway, so the. One of the f- most amazing things that happens in 21 Jump Street is, or one of the things that they do, and this came out in, uh, fuck, 2012, 11, 12, whatever. Channing Tatum has been like the cool, he was like the football jock bro character and Jonah Hill was the huge nerd in high school. Now they're in the police academy, so they're only a couple of years away from this. And then they get sent back into high school undercover. And one of the big jokes is how much everything has changed. Dave Franco plays this character who is, you know, a drug dealer in reality, but he's also like the coolest guy in school. And it turns out he's all into environmentalism and he's going to Berkeley and like I feel like Channing Tatum tries to make like a gay joke and people just immediately are like, what? Like, you, and it's just playing on how fast that became not cool uh, sometime around like the mid to late uh, 2000s. So watching a movie like this, wh- who is still like, wh- which seems very retrograde on, in very obvious ways on race stuff is going to like, I had I had similar reactions. 
I forgot that the first time we see Kevin Klein is when he's like, he's a master of disguise and he's like, you know what's easier than the mountain man costume? I'm going to put on a dress and pretend to be a prostitute. And the whole gag is I'm going to be so attractive to men, but I am going to assert my masculinity throughout this little like scene. It was just like, it was, it didn't do anything for his character. It, it lasts too long. It's like no part of that is good. And those that's after we get past whatever transphobia jokes about masculinity are going on in that scene. I, I had this moment when uh, I, I told both of you via email that uh, my wife still has this like love and affinity for Big Willie style when it came out. Well, yeah. And I'm going to be, that was like one of my first CDs too. So I can't, uh, yeah, that, that Limp Bizkit, Hanson's Mbop. I mean, they're all in there. So, um, so the, so the closing credits when Big Will or uh, Wild Wild West comes on and my wife starts singing it. And I just had this reaction of like, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? Like, it was like, it was like larger than the movie. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like I was like, I can't. How did, how did I get here? Like, that's okay. how it felt. So I will say, I actually really like that song. Um, so Joanna and I can just like, you know, have like a jam session together or whatever. It's like on a playlist that like we listen to in my house regularly. So I don't know what that says about me, but um, I do like, the song is catchy. I don't know. I like it. I think it's the best part of the movie. One of the weird things about like, so growing up exactly when I did is like, I knew Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith was still DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince a little bit, but I didn't really, I like, I had one of his CDs or something or my brother did. And so like, like I was aware of that, but I didn't really listen to it. And then he was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And then, or like, that's, I'm talking about my own sort of pop culture that's this is the order in which I discovered him, sort of. Uh, and then all of a sudden he was a huge movie star who also sang. And so, like, the fact that he did Wild Wild West, he was still at, like, the height of his sort of musical powers uh, at this particular point. And honestly, st- still, uh, it's a crazy thing to say, but, like, when when the closing credits started playing, I was like, oh, shit, it's Will Smith. Oh, this is kind of good. Is it was my reaction as well. I'm like, is this the best part of the movie? So you would have missed that if you had been watching on mute. <laughs> I I think Will Smith was so big at the time that you would just assume that his part was awesome. Yeah. Right? Like even if he sucked, you would have been like, Yeah, it was pretty good. It was good. I also I just have to say that like one of the really striking things about this whole conversation that we're having is that I really did like I we on this podcast recorded an episode like very recently on Independence Day. It's actually on released on the day of this uh, recording. And part of the conversation of that is like how Will Smith was such an unexpected choice for that particular role to like carry an action movie and be this sort of quippy, but also super charismatic like male character. It just, he hadn't done anything like that, especially on that big of a scale in 1996. And here it is 1999 and we're talking about how big he is and like how, uh, and how suddenly he looks sort of so lifeless. But like what's, what's insane to me is like he goes on in the next like five or 10 years to do like happiness, to do uh, Ali in which he was incredible. So like, 
uh, I, this movie looking back is such a, I mean, it's a wild miss for everyone involved, but in particular for him, I like, I am really uncomfortable like using language like shuck and jive, but like so much of what he is asked to do in this movie is basically that like none of the stuff that like made his character in independence day really memorable is here. Very little of men in black even like translates to the screen. He just is like, he doesn't get what's so strange is that he is supposed to be. We know that he is cool mainly because it seems like it's Salma Hayek's only goddamn job to tell us how dreamy he is or whatever, or impetuous or whatever, because like we wouldn't get that from him. And then like he, he ends up in these sticky situations and essentially talks as, I don't know. It's like, it's such a disappointment specifically for him, not just it turns out because he missed out on the matrix to do it, but God damn it. It's very disappointing. <laughs> For him, also in general. And we're about at one hour, so we should probably uh, uh, start wrapping things up. It turns out that it is harder to talk about really bad movies in a, in a sort of podcasty way than it is to talk about really good movies. Yeah, a little bit, huh? Let me. Uh, That's okay. It is okay. <laughs> it is okay. We started like one of the things that we opened with on this episode was uh, was talking about like the time in which we saw this particular movie for the first time. It was playing on people's TVs, uh, whatever. Um, I was talking about like the effect of being in the woods for like two weeks and not knowing anything that's going on in the outside world. And then like going to see it on screen in which I maintained, like, again, it turns out if you're not going to just see it on mute, then like seeing it in the theater after just like not being in, in you know, indoors for uh, two weeks turns out to be also pretty acceptable, but I might as well just share with you for no particular reason the the, like that situation woods for like two weeks to straight up, movie theater uh created some very interesting dynamics in terms of the movies uh the movies that i saw uh during those summers uh it was the summer before that where i was sort of like i, w I was totally falling in love with this woman that i was working with and like we were going to go on days off together and like we knew we were going to sleep together at some point and like this is so dumb because we were both like 19 years old. So like we like hike out of the wilderness. We like get in like a borrowed friend's truck. We like drive the hour to Taos. We know we're going to do it and we're very excited about that. But like it's too early to like check in anywhere. So we're like, let's go see a movie. Let's go see a movie. We have to kill like three hours. And we don't know anything about any of the movies that are in the theater. Like we, we know the title, but like we hadn't seen previews. We have just been checked out. So we were like, this one looks long. Guess which movie it was in 1998? <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Worst date movie ever. <laughs> I mean, but like, did you close the deal afterwards, Derek, or what? <laughs> After some sort of like trauma unwinding, we managed to get it done, but like... Oh my God. So anyway, if there's like, 
Wild Wild West was sort of hard to talk about. And like we're we're not going to ever do Saving Private Ryan on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but I just but thought you could I'd, retell that delightful story. I could retell that delightful story. I had to get it someplace, so why not at the end of the <laughs> Wild Wild West episode? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, for if for nothing else, that moment right there getting to see your reactions to that has made this an absolute (laughs) delight thank you guys both so much for coming on the show absolutely yeah thanks for having us welcome back anytime to talk about literally any other movie and we should specify before we do whether we're going to watch it with sound or not and that's our show thanks to sam and brett for enduring wild wild west for the sake of this conversation And thanks to you, too, our listeners. Subscribe to the show at Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you listen, and do leave us a review. And you can also send us feedback at point10pod at gmail.com. We will be back in a couple of weeks with Winston and Andy to talk about a movie I've been waiting to do since we started this podcast, 1990's Total Recall. Until then, for all of us here at the Point 10 Podcast, I'm Derek Gottlieb. We will see you next time.